We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. You're in a lot of trouble, and maybe it's because... Well, sorry, Canada. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> Toronto. And because Philly sucks. I feel like I fear Boston most of all out of any of the Eastern Conference teams. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Nah. Hello and welcome to the Brew Hoop Podcast. I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of brewhoop.com, freshly returned from uh, the, the beautiful beaches of Puerto Rico. Thank you to Riley and Kyle for covering for me last week. That was um, quite a treat uh, and love the pod as well. Big fan, first time, uh, long time listener, first time host. Uh, and uh, thank you guys for for joining me as, as usual. It's it, Riley and Kyle are back this week. Uh, and uh, how are you guys? How are you guys doing? It was kind of a tough week for the Bucks. We had, we had two losses. Uh, it's a good question. I think it might have been the toughest seven day stretch of the entire season. If you're also including the Hornets game from last Sunday, which was just, I mean, an eyesore completely. But otherwise, I'm feeling pretty good. My first uh, Sunday delivery of the newspaper I subscribed to, it actually showed up today, even though they had only gotten like one out of the seven deliveries previously. So I'm in a good mood. I'm looking forward to reading that after this, uh, which is totally lame, but that's uh, where I'm at in life. Okay, wait, Kyle. Before we move on, I'm I'm curious about this, Riley. What's your what like your living situation? How is the paper delivered? Because I'm guessing you don't like live in like a full house, right? No. So I I live in an apartment building, but it's not like a big one with like a ton of units. It's like eight units, pretty basic house. We're just north of the University of Minnesota's campus, so sort of student living. How it's delivered, I have no freaking clue. So this is this is not the Star Tribune. It's the Times, and so. Uh, I think I'm assuming they have a contractor locally that they have to go yeah. to. And it's just kind of hit or miss whether or not that contractor actually picks up and or delivers. And I've had them like try to reschedule, reschedule deliveries every single day it just does not show up. So I'm assuming it's just a, they don't have enough people. I'm too out of the way because God knows there's not a single other student near the university that's subscribing to a physical newspaper. So uh, it, what it should do is they should just throw it to the front steps of the building. So the options are either they're not doing that, they're not delivering, or somebody's jacking it every single morning, which would be really quite a bit of a downer. But now that I've gotten it twice, I, I can't imagine that's actually the case. So, mm, Okay. I had a professor in college who made me subscribe to the Times for his class uh, for a semester. <laughs> uh, Was that like your required textbook, essentially? Yeah. I don't remember much from that class. It wasn't that helpful. Um, <laughs> Kyle, how are you doing? Oh, what a week. What a week. <laughs> um, for those that don't know, I was temporarily suspended on Twitter, which I don't know how I managed to do that. Out of all the tweets, though, it's because they called a racist, a female dog, a certain body part, and a coward. And I said it three times, and I guess that's it's kind of like Beetlejuice. Once you say or Candyman, once you say it three times, that's enough, and you get axed. So it was kind of nice. Just it was kind of nice not having to be on Twitter and social media. And I'm really glad because I'm sure I would have lost my collective shit on the Los Angeles Lakers game. But otherwise, I I'm now tranquil. I'm back on Twitter for better or worse, I guess, and still watching a lot of soccer. 
Wonderful. Wonderful. So the more things change, the more they stay the same, you know? <laughs> uh, and, you know, speaking of things sort of changing, the sort of changing, sort of staying the same, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks kick off this last week. Thankfully, uh, you guys recorded late last Sunday, so we didn't have to talk about um, the Charlotte game again this week. Thank you. For well, we talked that was, about it, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am so glad that I didn't have to talk about it. Uh, uh, Bucks kick off this week then with a 105 to 89 loss at Miami, pretty roundly uh, defeated and soundly defeated by a Miami Heat team that shot 48.6% from three, 18 of 37. Bucks shoot just seven of 34 from deep, 20.6%. Um, had tip to Dean Maniat, always uh, the the outlier police in terms of three-point shooting, uh, anything over 45.2% and under 25.2%. He lists as outliers. This was obviously outlier on both sides of the coin. Giannis, just 13 points, uh, 15 rebounds, 6 of 18 from the floor. Chris is a similarly troubling night, 12 points, 4 of 16 from the floor. Uh, Brooke Lopez was really one of the few players who who – uh, was able to find his offensive groove in that one, 21 points, 8 of 16 from the floor. Uh, and George Hill, of course, got nailed in the balls uh, by Goran Dragic. <laughs> so uh, that was a tough couple of losses on the night, and he's been out for the last couple games since then. But, um, you know, this was this was one of those games, uh, Riley, where beyond Giannis kind of getting locked up um, by Bam Adebayo, uh, it, it felt to me like, yeah, this is this is the kind of script that you could see if the Bucks really shoot this poorly and a team shoots this well. Uh, it, this loss felt similar as opposed to the Lakers game that we're going to talk about a little later. This this loss felt basically on script with the other losses we've seen from the Bucks this year. Yeah, there were a couple of different factors you could go into it and use as discounters. Like it was the second game on a back-to-back. I'm assuming that the Bucks rushed willy-nilly out of Charlotte to get to Miami to enjoy South Beach a little bit. That's just an assumption. I don't know that for <laughs> a fact, but if I was to guess... And then, like you're saying, when you have those outlier shooting nights, it kind of all adds together. But the one thing that I would say that, you know, you already kind of outlined Yana struggling. Chris also struggled for a 16 from the floor, only two of 10 from three. He ended up with 12 points. What was interesting to me and kind of made me look a little bit or feel a little bit like an idiot, maybe not so much, but after that Charlotte game, where it was like, we're just going to go through Giannis. He was doing so much on the high post, like busting out all these moves. And we spoke in the immediate aftermath about the fact that Charlotte just probably didn't have necessarily the personnel to keep him locked up. And in this situation against the Heat, I think their defensive personnel, because of their length, the you know, the relatively stout, like you said with Bam out of bio, he's a tough matchup. And then Jimmy Butler too, when he when he's really tuned in on defense, he can be a tough guy as well. There were multiple times, especially in the first half, where the Bucks were trying to still get into that Giannis high post set, but whether it's like a lack of comfort, whether it be Eric isn't confident trying to get the ball up and over or around his defender to get into Giannis, or when they actually did get it to him, the Heat were very, very good about, we're not going to wait for Giannis to size up the situation and then make a move. They swarmed him with like th- three dudes every single time he touched the ball. And that was the same whether he be 15 feet from the basket, whether he tried to do his like get up a head of steam from 30 feet out and rush him. Um, so I, I thought it was just interesting from Miami, the way that they were able to defense and how they threw off what Giannis was doing even the night before and add that on top of the fatigue, I'm sure, and the poor shooting overall, et cetera. I think that all kind of came together to explain it, but something to keep an eye on because the Heat, they cut off, and if they're going to play that good of defense, especially at home, yeah, th- that's a tough matchup. 
Yeah, it, it's a good point. I, they are one of those teams that has the type of personnel that that like similarly to Toronto last year uh, that can be a decent facsimile of what that defense was with the 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 stout athletic big man in in Adebayo and some rugged big uh, wings that are able to to help in and and try and disrupt Giannis as he's getting into his positions and and crowd the ball. I mean, it's pretty amazing to to see how Giannis is still able to work even though anytime they show a replay on defense against most teams. It's like Giannis in the middle of the paint, all four players are all turning their eyes and like he gets boxed in by all of them. Uh, Very similar to what that happened in Miami as well. Um, You know, Kyle, I I think the other thing uh, with that one, obviously beyond Giannis is struggling is, is Chris struggled in this one um, also struggled in in the Lakers game uh, four of 16 in, in the heat game, you know, any credence to the fact that maybe it's just, a tough shooting night from him or you know is it possible that the heat have the type of wing defenders who could give him trouble uh, any thoughts on that well first you're forgetting the main part which is <laughs> sunday night miami nightlife let's <laughs> remember you. thank you yes i i said this last week sunday night miami nightlife undefeated but i think it's a combination of both com- with the wing defenders that miami has and we were saying this for years that miami has the wing defenders like james johnson bam out of bio that they can play this style of basketball and it's very effective. That's and with their defense and sometimes they run his own. It's pretty effective. And I think Chris is going through a shooting slump, but at the same time, he was pretty much shooting unconscious for a long stretch. So maybe he's just possibly running to the mean or it is a slump. So I think it's a combination of both. And I think Miami just plays with so much physicality that I don't think Milwaukee was expecting in a regular season game. Now, come playoff time, I think the expectations will change, and I think that's something that they'll be more cognizant of. But with how Miami was, I mean, you saw Giannis would get to the paint, and there was just one or two defenders that was on him, whether there was a foul or not. They were just physically on him, making things tough for him. And then you combine that with the fact that no one can hit a shot, so then you're able to just leave those shooters alone. Chris isn't able to get anything. Eric Bledsoe was non-existent. George Hill and Dante getting hit in the ball. So it was just a very physical game, and I don't think Milwaukee ever adjusted to it. But it's also kind of a statement that Milwaukee, with as poor of a shooting night as they had, as good of a shooting night that Miami had, and the physicality of the game, they're still... I mean, it was still kind of within reach of the game. It's never like they were just getting blown up by 20. You know, there are moments where it got up to, you know, 13, 15, it seemed kind of grim, but they were at least able to somewhat claw their way back. So... I think it's just a combination of both, and it'll be interesting to see if you know standings hold come the second round of the playoffs. Will Milwaukee be able to adjust with it? Is this again an outlier shooting night? Because now we're looking at what six quarters against the Miami Heat, in which the Bucks have been unable to offensively get anything going against this team. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Calling back to the earlier part of the season. Uh, only other thing I wanted to point out from this one that I thought was kind of interesting was was the the battle of the the centers. So Brooke Lopez, twenty one points, uh, not a lot of damage for him came from three in this one. You know he hit two of four quality stuff from him, but it felt like uh, the Bucks were certainly willing to go to him inside. And this was this has obviously been a recurring theme that we've talked about this year. But you know Miami likes to go small. They're not going to have huge guys out on the floor uh, that can go with Bam at at center, obviously, and, and you know, he's not 
gigantic, but he is athletic and, and able to guard guys like that. But, you know, a lot of times they'll downsize and the, and the Bucks were more than willing to let Lopez do a little bit of work inside. Uh, I thought it was an interesting contrast, Riley, with the uh, Heat countering with Kelly Olynyk, who doesn't really give them a whole lot of defense, obviously, inside. But he is that that, that prototype, uh, you know, stretch five who can hurt the Bucks defense. We kind of got a taste of, of it felt like I was getting flashbacks to the, the Celtics games where Al Horford would beat us. Because this feels like one of the few times this year where we really had a stretch five damage us like that. Yeah, and I don't know if that's if we've just been lucky and not playing a lot of stretch fives or just the shots weren't going, but you're 100% right that. And I think this was almost the same situation. I'd have to pull up the box score from the first game, but I, I remember it was either Kelly Olenek or um, I can't remember what his name is off the top of my head. He was in Portland. Now he's in Miami. Um, yeah, Myers Leonard. I think he might have been involved in the first game, but they both kind of have a similar-ish like stretch five situation. And there are a lot of times where because Brooke Lopez just commits and the defense commits so much to the scheme that they're going for, you're obviously going to leave those shots open. In this case, Olenek goes three for three. And they were within pretty quick succession in the second and third quarter, I believe. And so when that happens, I mean, there's not much you can do besides shake your head at it because that's just those. that's the shot that you want to give up. But you're correct that we've been able to avoid running into that all that much this season and and to brooks credit as well he's been doing his best both inside and outside as well i think in that game i think he went two for four from three um it seems like he's kind of gotten a little bit more into form from distance so that's helpful but just you know, there's nobody really to blame except for the scheme and the scheme works so well that you allow it and at this at this point your two options are either hope you don't run into a team with a stretch five who's actually a legit stretch five or two just own it and figure it out the rest of the way for everybody else on defense and then hope the offense picks up. Cause that was similar in the Toronto series was like one or two games where Marcus all really kind of gets going from three. Maybe that's not the thing that spells the entire doom. It was probably more so the fact that you weren't able to keep up on the other side offensively. And so maybe that's a little bit concerned from this game because the bucks had difficulty keeping up offensively when yes, Kelly Olenek goes three for three, but that's probably not the mainline reason why you say this is the reason we lost because you know, there's a reason why he's out there wide open every single possession. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, interesting, interesting game. Uh, obviously, you know, the Heat are going to, and right, rightly so, can hang their hat a little bit on their ability to beat the Bucks so far in the regular season this year. But uh, I, I'm slightly less concerned just given the fact that there were some insane outlier shooting performances in this one. Uh, moving on, next game the Bucks had was a 119-100 win over the Indiana Pacers. Game lost a good amount of its luster, I would say. Victor Oladipo sat out, and then Malcolm Brogdon, uh, unfortunately, uh, only played around 10 minutes in this one. Um, it's been a tough year for Malcolm Brogdon. I know people like to, some people like to bag on him or whatever, but it is kind of a bummer that he feels like he had a good start to the season and then he's just been hurt in and out. Um, obviously was a concern whenever he was with the Bucks, So, um, not too surprising to see it happen with the Pacers, but he goes out early. Uh, and then it was really just the only person that was disrupting the, the Bucks that night was TJ McConnell, who continues to be uh, an annoying pest. But uh, Giannis scores 29 points, 12 rebounds, six assists. Chris, uh, 9 to 16 from the floor, 20 points. Eric Bledsoe, pretty quiet, but then has a nice rush in the second half to get to 16 points, 5 and 9 from the floor. And uh, Lord, our Lord and Savior, uh, Dante Big Ragu, DiVincenzo, 19 points, 7 rebounds on 10 shots, tying a career high for him. Um, it, there wasn't a whole lot for me taking away from 
this game. Uh, you know, there was a little bit of issue guarding DeMontis Sabonis uh, in the middle. He's obviously had uh, a lot of success this year as, as the Pacers in, the, in their pick and roll game. Uh, you could kind of tell that he didn't have quite the same amount of chemistry with some of their backup guards as he does with Malcolm Brogdon. Um, you know, Miles Turner wasn't able to hurt this team, similar to how he's been a little bit of a disappointment uh, this year, wasn't able to hurt this Bucks team as a, as a stretch five. Uh, McConnell was giving some, you know, gritty defensive effort or whatever, getting disruptive and getting a couple steals. But um, beyond this one, it was really just like the Bucks out-talented them by the end. The Pacers held tough for most of it, but um, Giannis and company, Giannis went on, goes on a big scoring spree in the fourth and really pulls away to make this one be a runaway uh, victory for the Bucks. So not a whole lot to take away from that one. So I want, I'm going to move on straight away to the Los Angeles Lakers game, which was obviously the big matchup from last week. Uh, rightfully so, highly hyped uh, by a lot of the uh, national media types talking about it. Uh, of course, the MVP narrative played well into that, the LeBron James versus Giannis Antetokounmpo matchup, which was um, you know, insufferable, I think, as, as we all expected <laughs> it would be. So uh, just to give some, some broad strokes for this game, Bucks shoot 12 of 43 from deep. It's 27.9%. Lakers shoot... Six of 32 from deep. That's just 18.8% real tough night for them. Uh, if you're looking at the free throw line, Bucks are 17 of 23. Lakers, 31 of 38 from the free throw line. And then in terms of just raw box score stuff, Giannis has 32 points. Uh, Chris, 12 points, just 5 of 19 from the floor. Bledsoe, just 11 points, 5 of 13. Um, Dante DiVincenzo, 17 points, 7 of 13 from the floor. And then for the Lakers, LeBron has 37 points on 21 shots, eight rebounds, eight assists. Anthony Davis has 30 points. 25 of those came in the second half, 10 of 24 from the floor. So uh, let's just do real quickly. We'll do high overview and then talk about some more specifics as we go through uh, any big takeaways uh, from the initial viewing of this game that you had, Kyle. Yes and no. I think it was, you know, people want to berate the refs and talk about the, you know, disparity in the free throws, but I guess with this game, what really I thought was interesting was that Giannis was still able to be relatively efficient, and it didn't seem like it's it didn't seem like he was efficient himself. But yeah, he still had thirty two points, eleven rebounds, six assists, ten to twenty one. And I think a lot of it is because he shot so well from the free throw line, and that's something that has really stood out throughout the All Star post All Star break as his free throw abilities have improved. Um, obviously Chris not contributing, Eric Bledsoe not contributing does not help Milwaukee and same with the three point shooting. But I think it was just more the, it never felt like other than it felt like Milwaukee was always playing with house money with how well it played. And that, you know, the bottom of the well was going to like the other shoe was going to drop. And that happened at the end of the third quarter, primarily when, they couldn't take advantage of LeBron being on the bench while Giannis was in. And that seems to be when everything fell apart for the Bucks, which is strange because you would have thought that this would have been the perfect time to take advantage of it because all season long, you know, when LeBron sits, the Lakers are significantly poor just based off of that rating. So I think for me, it was just more of the, it never felt like Milwaukee was playing well enough that I felt confident that they were winning. And then it kind of became more of a reality once that end of the third quarter and especially late in the fourth quarter happened. But yeah, good job on Giannis for still getting a good stat line. And, you know, it's good to see that he was 
aggressive and getting you know some of the follow calls. At least he was getting calls go his way. Yeah, I I, I wanted to touch on the refs real quickly. Uh, I don't know. I guess I always have trouble blaming a lot of stuff on on the refs. I think it's tough to make. I don't. I don't know. I, I think it's 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 an impossible job to to please everyone. I actually thought the refs were giving the Bucks a good amount of fouls in the first half, like in terms of getting the Lakers in foul trouble and that kind of stuff. Um, obviously the Lakers end up taking, you know, a large amount of, of free throws and their free throw rate is well above their season average. But I think part of that is due to the fact that they just took a ton of shots at the rim as opposed to uh, how many of the bucks were taking. But um, I don't know. I, I, I didn't have a huge issue with the refs. I don't know about you, Riley. No, not really. If you just even look at the personal foul difference, like it's, it's a five foul difference, not the end of the world. So I think that kind of, again, bleeds into what you were saying, where the Bucks were still getting a somewhat not favorable call, but pretty even call in the first half, at least. And beyond the refs, if I was to do like a high level summary, rewatching it, you know, right before we started recording here, what jumped out was it neither team did much for almost 75, 80% of the game to really differentiate one from one another. So I think that speaks to how well they match up with each other. Um, I think it was both an offensive grind for both teams. And really the main difference, like Kyle was saying, was that third quarter where, you know, all credit to LeBron and Anthony Davis, they, they really stepped up in that coming out of the half and going through those 12 minutes. And unfortunately for us, neither Chris nor Eric did, as much I, I think eric it, for both the guys is difficult because they got their shots up it wasn't like eric totally disappeared you know he was still trying to do his thing trying to go inside and you know he's a lot of his shots were really difficult with dudes all around him in the paints and so credit to him for still trying and chris i, I think for this past week it's difficult because he came off that sore neck you know is that two for ten like kyle's saying is this re regression to the mean like what are we doing there and so the the main difference not so much that they out talented us or anything along those lines it was just their two top guys came together really in a forceful way in the third quarter and it was enough over that 12 minutes to push it out where the bucks didn't have an answer and you kind of go back to this grinding game in the fourth fourth quarter and you know, that's kind of all she wrote so if i was to do a high level I'm not super concerned about it. Um, it was just kind of a frustrating watching that third quarter unfold. And it's like, we just cannot keep up offensively the way that those other guys are. Yeah. I, 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 it's sort of sick, but like at this point, I, I, I wasn't able to watch the game at the time that it aired. And I saw it was like a one thirteen to one or three loss. And then I saw that the Lakers didn't shoot very well from three. And I was like, Oh, okay. So I feel like we'll actually have something to talk about as opposed to just like calling it an outlier and hoping that the math will work our way. Um, and I, I do feel like there is some small stuff from this one. I mean, obviously you would hope that the Bucks would shoot better from three in another matchup. Um, but but I was looking a little bit at some of the stats on cleaning the glass. So the Bucks took 5% less shots at the rim than they usually would. Basically, they allocated those to three-point shots, which clearly didn't go in. Um, but one of the issues was that the Bucks were really, really good at the rim. Like they were 19 of 24 on shots at the rim. So... You know, I think there's there's a, an argument to be made that I think they were missing George Hill a little bit and his ability to try to get to the rim and and take some of those shots as opposed to just settling for triples. Um, you know, I think you probably would have liked Eric Bledsoe to maybe even be a little bit more forceful trying to get to the rim. Um, but I was impressed the Bucks were able to shoot that high of a percentage against the Lakers who aren't like world beaters at the rim, but they do have a lot of length. Um, and I think maybe that could have deterred the Bucks a little bit from shooting 
from shooting there. And then, you know, conversely, uh, this game inside, they, they, they finished 46 to it's 46 to 50 in Lakers advantage in terms of points in the paint. Um, but if you look, the Lakers usually take around like 40% of their shots at the rim. And as we all know, the Bucks, you know, are one of the best teams in the league in terms of deterring teams from both taking shots at the rim and shooting at the rim. Um, so Nate, like I said before, Lakers normally take about 40% of their shots at the rim and 46% of their shots were at the rim in this one. So an incredibly high percentage, I think that lends itself to some of the fouls that they got. Um, and the Bucks didn't hold them to their usual, you know, 54% as a defense. They did hold the Lakers like 10%. They shot 10% less at the uh, worse at the rim than they usually do. Um, but, you know, the Bucks still didn't, you know, they didn't deter them from taking those shots and, and those shots still went in at a basically a 60% clip at the rim. So um, I think there's some small stuff. If you're looking at the inside game uh, that the, the bucks weren't really able to, you know, work away at the margins to try and try and win that out. So I'll be curious watching uh, in future matchups, if the bucks are able to maybe try and get to the rim more. Um, and I think this has been an interesting sort of thing for us to track this year. Um, Kyle is like with, you know, with the loss of, of Malcolm Brogdon, um, this team, I think is a little bit more reliant on the three, but, um, you know, trying to find ways where this team, when the threes aren't falling, making sure that they are still able to manufacture bucket, buckets, whether it's at the free throw line or getting to the rim. Yeah. And a lot of that is going to fall on Eric Bledsoe. I know we're going to talk about that and later on in this episode, but it really does fall on Bledsoe to be that guy to drive the hoop and get those free throw opportunities and kind of be more aggressive. And it's, he's just hasn't been that this past week. And I don't know if it's because he's still not at a hundred percent. Cause I know Bud had mentioned that last week against the Hornets game. And I, I think he's the guy that with no Brogdon, he's going to need to be the one that takes it to the hoop. Unless you're going to go with Brooke Lopez posting up for the block, which could be an effective model as well. But then it kind of seems to, throw off the offensive system. So I don't know to what extent it's going to have, but yeah, I think with no Brogdon, it does rely especially on Bledsoe to pick it up. And if he doesn't, that's when I think the Bucks are going to be in the most trouble. Well, it, and if I can just jump in real quick, the, outside of just the Bucks, I think two things that also I want to toss in for like small details. I think the ability of LeBron James and Anthony Davis to work in a pick and roll with one another, it, like we, I think that was something that people highlighted even before the season. And in this game, there were multiple times where we've seen the Bucks, their drop zone defense works really, really well when the opponent's personnel isn't used to it or they don't have a dominant pick and roll ball handler. And maybe LeBron doesn't have the most crisp handle ever, but through his sheer number of skill sets, given who he is, all those sorts of things, and he still is a good facilitator. There were a lot of possessions where instead of the drop zone throwing him off, he's able to kind of, and we've seen this other teams, like even like Devin Booker and the Suns, I think in the last matchup, if you have a guy who has the timing, has the instincts while they're approaching the guy, the center who's in that drop area to manipulate and let their teammate kind of work around them. And there was a lot of like lobs, alley-oops, you know, finding good passing lanes, like getting around the main defender, whatever it was. I thought that was interesting just because that's those are two guys that make that Milwaukee's defensive scheme 
even though it's still stout, maybe not nearly as stout in that one-on-one matchup. And then the other thing I wanted to point out, and it's not the end of the world because there's only like eight minutes for him or 12 minutes was, I mean, Kyle Korver, he looked awful defensively. Like Alex <laughs> Caruso was putting yeah. him on freaking skates. It was ugly. Now he was out for a while with injury. So maybe it's just, he's got to work his way back, but that was not encouraging. And then Robin Lopez, I mean, when he goes in only eight minutes, he has like, <laughs> he has one shot attempt, which missed. And then he turned the ball over three times and got three fouls as well. So not covering himself in glory there either. So I, I think, with all that, as we were saying, the starters, but even the bench guys weren't all that great besides Dante. I mean, Pat was okay, sort of, but he wasn't, he didn't really flash all that much to me. Marvin, he only gets five points, but that's pretty much what you expect. He's not supposed to play a big role off the bench. And so you combine all those things, and that's just kind of, that's, that's where all the issues come from. The question is, how do you solve for that? I think defensively, you just kind of live with it and hope everybody else chooses poorly as they did. Offensively, that's kind of more of a question to me. It's a great point about the picket rule game. I think it's fascinating. I think we see this a little bit with Ben Simmons, too. We saw it at the start of the last Philly game before he went out with the back injuries. He was able to get to the rim. But the confidence that LeBron James has when he comes around that pick and roll, he's not like a tiny guard. Like He's not going to pull up for three. He's not going to just like settle for a mid-range jumper. He is more than comfortable working within the paint, knowing defenders are watching him. And he's not going to be afraid to try and finish around Brooke Lopez or Robin Lopez. Like he thinks he's going to probably get a foul or he's going to finish because he's one of the best finishers at the rim of all time. So I I think that's a a really, really good point. And knowing that the guy at the other end of that pick and roll who's popping or rolling is another similarly amazing finisher at the rim or a really decent shooter from outside or the mid range and Anthony Davis. Uh, I mean, there's a reason it's so potent. So I'm, I'm really interested to watch that. Another small thing that I saw was when you're talking about the, the marginal things, I certainly noticed Kyle Korver getting absolutely put on skates. And if you're talking <laughs> about a guy in the playoffs, I mean, Rajon Rondo just like made him look like he, he made him look like he was 38. He made him look his age. And, if you're talking about a guy in the playoffs who the teams are going to target, you know, we can talk about this later, but like that, that that's case in point. That's what's going to happen. Another one's a couple, uh, you know, small, small thing, but you know, the bucks were, the Lakers were switching on pick and rolls, obviously. And the bucks were trying to take advantage of that and get Giannis on Danny green. I think it might've been in like the third quarter. Um, but basically, you know, they're, the bucks are running these pick and rolls to get Giannis matched up with Danny green. And basically I, I, on, pretty close to consecutive possessions. Giannis gets him, can't get a baseline spin around him, can't finish at uh can't finish at the rim. And then on another one, he's he's not able to able to really take advantage of that switch. Um I mean those are the kind of hunting out mismatch things that occasionally the Bucks are gonna have to go to in the playoffs. Um and you know you you just hope to see Kyle that that Giannis is able to take advantage of that. And obviously in this game he wasn't and that wound up being you know those small things wind up being the difference. Yeah, and I think it's also tougher just because this Lakers team, it's, and I think it's the same with Miami, there's not a lot that you can exploit that really benefits Giannis. Like, Miami is kind of tough where you can focus on Giannis, hope that he can exploit it, but if he can't, you know, you would expect someone like Bloodstone to, but I don't know whether it's just the confidence or the opponent, because, you know, it's not like Miami has point guards that you really fear. It's not like LA has a point guard that you really fear. You can kind of see it with Wes Matthews. You can kind of see it with Chris Middleton where you can scheme something that it gives them the benefit of the doubt. But, and 
I again, how much of this are we going to wonder and discuss if the Bucks win both of these games if they shoot a little bit better from three? And I think that's really what I'm trying to decide on if this is just a normal thing or is this just a thing that if the Bucks shoot a little bit better, this is a non-discussion. So I think right now there's only a few teams that you can't really scheme for Giannis to, t- to exploit. And I think it's just because Giannis is also that caliber of player where he, he, can ex- he can exploit it regardless. But with some of the other ones, it's more of a confidence issue slash are the shots falling or not. Yeah. Well, um, and then and then obviously the other thing briefly from this one was uh, Giannis obviously had a precautionary MRI. By the time this podcast come out, we you know when we're recording, we we still don't know the severity of it. By the time this comes out, you you might know it. But um, I'm just going to go say glass half full because glass half empty isn't fun. And uh, just like say maybe he's you know he'll be out for a little while, but say like he's not going to be out for the whole season or something. Um, so. You know, obviously, if that does wind up being the case where he's out for, a, you know, a shorter period of time, um, you know, could be a, a good example, Riley, of where we'll get to see these other guys step up and how they're able to hold the line in terms of uh, the Bucks trying to maintain the best record in the NBA. Here's the thing. Ursan's been waiting for this moment. Now, I'm not going to say Ursan <laughs> was hoping Giannis would get injured, but we all know if Giannis sits, Ursan's the first guy getting the calls for the starting role. So whether, well, it'll be the ultimate test of just how far uh, Budenholzer has moved his BFF status from Ursan to Marvin to see who steps up. But I think, uh, assuming that your prognosis, since you are the podcast official, you know, medical professional, oh, um, yeah. assuming that you're, <laughs> assuming that it, it's a uh, an accurate prognosis, I think it, it's difficult with this team because, you know. We've seen it because they're so slavish. Sounds a little extreme, but you know, th- there's this, there's this um, need all the time, even when Giannis is out there, to kind of function within the broad outlines of what they're trying to do. And when you don't have a guy like Giannis out there to um, essentially draw the entire defense in, that makes life a lot more difficult. Now, Chris Middleton, to his credit, in a couple of games where Giannis wasn't out there, he was shooting super crazy. He was he was aggressively taking shots. And so I doubt that the Bucks will be able to continue to beat opponents, especially since the schedule has gotten a lot more difficult with the closing couple of weeks of the schedule here. But uh, I think it's only for the best in that it'll force upon Chris and Eric to like, you guys have to show up and we'll see, maybe identify a couple areas of weakness where Giannis isn't out there. Here are things that we're struggling with. How do we kind of adjust for that? So you can kind of look at it where they're most likely not going to lose the one seed. I think that's, that would be tough for them to do at this point. Maybe depending on how long he's out, maybe the Lakers could catch him for the best record, which would kind of stink. But I, I think mostly positive if it gives him a little bit of rest and it gives the rest of the team time to say, here's what we can do when he's not out there here thing you step up you step up those sorts of things that hopefully down the line you know if Budenholzer takes it on as a lesson can be helpful in tighter situations or in those couple minutes where Giannis isn't playing in the playoffs yeah yep I, I would agree uh, any thoughts lingering or, or last thoughts Kyle before we move on to our next segment uh, not really. I think Riley covered it pretty well, and uh, especially with Ursan, it seems like this is going to be the player that benefits the most because he's going to be kind of brought out of the cold straight into the starting lineup, I'm assuming. Um, Marvin Williams will still get, you know, a good 20-ish minutes. Maybe we have more Chris Middleton play in the four, which I know we haven't really seen since Budenholzer has been a coach, but that might be a potential as well. But 
I think it's also a good time for Giannis to kind of get that breather just because, you know, if we, he, the Bucks already got a playoff spot, they're likely going to cruise to that number one seed. So yeah, it's just a matter of, do you want to try and get the best record overall? But how much of that, how much of that is really going to matter? Cause this Bucks team has shown that they can play on the road as well as at home. So I think if there is a time to be more on the cautious side, and I know, you know, the prognosis look better than initially feared, but maybe it's just let Giannis ride it out with this month getting tougher, unless you really want to, I guess, try and make a point. I think it's going to be more of a, how much is Marvin Willis going to play? Is there a going to be brought back from the Colts? Are we going to see more Kyle Korver? Are we going to see potentially Sterling Brown again? Like how many players is Budenholz are going to reach into to cover this void because we all know it's not going to be DJ Wilson, so we're just going to bypass him. <laughs> like a guy like Sterling Brown, like is he going to get more playing time because of it, or if a guy like Ursan goes from completely not playing to starting lineup? The 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 one other thing I would just jump in real quick. Like, let's assume that is that positive. You know, it's not the end of the world. It's it's a relatively minor. Like he tweaked it, he strained it. Two things that I'm curious about is one how precautionary are they are they just gonna like try i doubt they'd shut them down for the rest of the season but is it gonna be you know it could be a one to two week if it was somewhat of a tighter you know they needed him out there are they gonna extend that out to like three or four weeks and if that's the case what does that mean for like his gas tank is he able to stay in shape like obviously he'll stay in shape but what does that mean for when he comes back working himself back up to the right minute load because we've talked about this and i think others have as well um, seeing him at the end of games where he's playing a lot of minutes just because of how frenetic he is and how much energy he's putting out there. Even a 36-minute outing is, I mean, he's he's looking pretty gassed by the fourth quarter, which might be not a big deal, and a lot of other teams are doing load management. But if he has these two, three, four weeks off and then not a lot of time in actual game action because the season's pretty much wrapped up at that point, does that come into play if and when the Bucks have to go to him again in even more minutes in a more crucial series. So those are kind of things that I would keep in the back of my mind, assuming that it's a relatively minor thing. Yeah, obviously there's never a good time for there to be an injury scare with Giannis. Um, so we will, we will have to wait and see the um, you know, severity and then how the Bucks decide to handle it. Uh, all right, guys, we're going to take a quick break for an ad here. And then on the other side, we're going to do a trust level index. How are we feeling about the Bucks players in the potential playoff rotation. So stay tuned. All right, we are back. Okay, fellas. So I I, I was interested in this. I was listening to the, the Zach Lowe and Kevin Arnovitz uh, conversation, uh, lengthy and very uh, important to read or listen to, I should say, um, talking about the the Bucks. there, you know, the lingering doubts about them, uh, why they're not really the overwhelming favorites. Um, and I thought it would be interesting at this point, so we're about three quarters of the way through the season, to just look through most of the guys on the roster, Sands, Chris Middleton, and Giannis Antetokounmpo, and, you know, scale of, of one to ten, it doesn't have to be super strict, but just a way to try and converse and talk about how much do you trust these players for the Bucks in their playoff rotation. So uh, I thought it would be important to start it off right away with the uh, elephant in the room and start with Eric Bledsoe. So uh, on the on these trust level index, the scale, Riley, why don't you go first? So let's start with Eric Bledsoe. How are you feeling about him in the playoff rotation? Mm, uh, <laughs> if I was to go one to ten, I'd give him maybe like a four. Like, 
we Kyle and I talked about this last week and all three of us have discussed it throughout the season. He's having a very good regular season, but there's nothing that I've seen that's been like, okay, he's, he's this changed guy. Like mentality wise, I think he's playing exactly the same way that he usually does mentality wise. We've seen even in this past week, a couple of games where he kind of takes himself out of the offense or whatever the situation is. Um, and, and I'm not going to say he's he's looking like a one-trick pony because I think his three-point numbers are okay as well this season, which is helpful. But I'm just really concerned about a tight series. We've seen it two years in a row now, and it, it, it'll probably show its head again. And is he going to be able to, at this time, work his way through it? Or is it going to be a repeat of those past seasons? So I'll give him a four. It would probably be lower if he hasn't had a couple of the big games that he has. But he's he's very streaky in that sometimes he'll be really on sometimes he'll take himself out and if he takes himself out of one playoff game does that lead into another and another after that so i'm gonna say a four would be where i'm at kyle what about you kyle adam what about you okay i will go um so i'm thinking Oh, I have such a hard time. So I was thinking about this, like he's literally the guy who, who, who creates the most conversation. If there's no Eric Bledsoe on the team, let's say like George Hill is just the starter for this team. And then all of a sudden, like Pat Connaughton is probably playing more minutes or whatever. And like Dante is the sixth man. Do I feel better or worse about this team? Um, I don't know. I think I would feel worse. I still, I think I'm still at like, a seven for Eric Bledsoe. Oh, okay. I, That's pretty high. Yeah. I, I think I feel like I'm, I'm too much of an Eric Bledsoe stand, but like the reality is like, he, I don't think he's going to be axed from the rotation. Like there, there, I just don't think there's, I don't really see a reality in which Bud completely removes him from the Bucks playoff rotation. It seems that seems impossible to me. I don't know. I can't even see that reality. Maybe like if, if, because I, it can't get worse than what Toronto did to him last year. Like we we've seen the nadir of what Eric Bledsoe's playoff performance is going to be like, and maybe maybe he hits that nadir again. But like, I don't think it can get worse than a team not guarding him at all, like b- treating him like a ghost out there offensively. So and he was you know the Bucks defense was still pretty good with him on the floor um, in the playoffs last year. The defense wasn't really the issue. Um, I still think he's pretty critical to this, you know, the Bucks defensive scheme and ensuring that guards don't feel comfortable on that end. Um, you know, one of the things uh, that I thought was interesting was Zach Lowe was talking about his Bam Adebayo piece and he gave an anecdote about how, you know, Bam's like offensive shots weren't going in, but Myers Leonard was like telling him, hey man, we just need you to do all of the kind of little stuff defensively, even if your shots aren't falling, like you need to get those key blocks, you need to get those huge rebounds, like we need all of that stuff from you. And that's always a huge question with Eric Bledsoe, because he seems to have such a, a, a difficult time with the mental aspect of the game. But I think he, if he's able to have that mentality where he's still like, he says, I'm not going to let, I'm going to, you know, hold this guy to 25% shooting or whatever. Uh, and does all of those sort of defensive things to stop the opposing point guard or whoever it is as a, as a lead ball handler. I just still think that the Bucks are going to need that. 
I, we haven't had to see George Hill take on a huge increased role a couple years ago in the finals. Maybe he was injured, but like, not like he was any great shakes. And obviously he looked good for the bucks last year, but like, I still think there's a pretty key role that we need out of Eric Bledsoe this year. And even if his game has waxed and waned and, and looked weird at different times, like I just think they're, they're still going to need him. And I think, that's why I'm giving him a seven. Like I still think that he's going to have to be part of it. And I still trust that he at least can give it on one end. Yeah. I think what you said about our team's going to ghost him. That's the big question. Right. And I think the, the issue and you, you brought this up. I mean, even a couple of months ago where it's a little annoying talking about the regular season, because it's like, are we just going to get to another point where the opponent's going to say, okay, we're just going to let, Eric and Brooke try to beat us from outside. Like that's just going to be the offense we're going to allow them. And if that's the case, it, it, the issue last year was like, it was doubly problematic because they were just leaving. Like you said, Eric, they just didn't even defend him. So he would like get the, get the ball out from three. And then he took himself out of the game. So that he didn't even like try to attempt the three or even try to drive inside. He just like got rid of the ball. And so if that's going to be the case again, which I think is relatively reasonable, that could happen once more. You know, that's that's going to be problematic, obviously. So I, I think you're right that he's going to be important. I think it's impossible that he's going to get taken out of the rotation just because even when he was at his lowest, they still ran him out there because who knows, maybe he'll he'll snap out of it. And if that's the case, that that makes life a lot easier for everybody else. And then you actually have your third guy. Um, but I would say just because, you know, we've seen it two years in a row. Um, and, and I hate having to say that, like, he's a playoff choker. I don't think that's the case. I, like you said, it seems like it's just a mental thing. And for whatever reason, just in that situation versus the regular season, like a big game, it just works opposite for him. And so uh, th- that's what's kind of holding me back is that we might see another team go really like comically all out and say, we're just going to let those two guys beat us. And we're going to try and stop Giannis as much as we can. And Chris, you know, whether or not he's hitting shots that that's as of late, not nearly much the case. Maybe he'll make enough shots that it won't even matter if Eric isn't playing up to his potential. Yeah. All fair points. We're going to move on just because we have a lot of players to get through. And I guarantee you we'll talk about Eric Bledsoe a lot more. Uh, Okay. Pat Connaughton one to 10. Well, we should know real quick. The reason why you guys oh, don't yeah. hear Kyle's voice is it seems like his inter- internet just dropped off. So uh, yeah. maybe he'll hop back on, but uh, just so you know, that's the reason why he's not talking. So Pat Connaughton, oh man, this is going to be, this is a really tough exercise because uh, I have some open questions about all of the various sub guys because this is mostly the subs. I would say for him, I'll give him like a five out of 10. It, it feels like he's very in his lane. Like, He's not wonderful as a man defender. That's he's shown that throughout the season. He showed that last year. So that's not crazy. Um, Really what comes down to him is like, does this shot hit or not? And I don't think that's necessarily a question of, is he ready for the moment? Because he's, he's a pretty willing shooter. It's just more so does he happen to be on or otherwise? So I would give him a five just because it almost completely comes down to does this three fall because the defense that's been surprisingly, you know, whether you can say positively or negatively consistent throughout the entire season. Yeah. I'm going to go with six only because we did see him. I thought he was, he's critical in that Boston series. His shot was falling, but I thought he was doing some other little things that are important, whether it's like grabbing offensive rebounds or that kind of stuff. So 
Uh, I'm not as confident about him playing as large of a role in the rotation this year in the playoffs. I don't think he will. Uh, but I, I I could see him, you know, performing a similar role in, in as an energy guy for you know eight eight to ten minutes or something. Um, and he he's one of the guys in terms of the the lower rung guards that I would rather see out there. There because you know I think I would rather see him out there than Kyle Korver personally. So yeah, yeah, I agree completely. Uh, all right, George Hill. Him, I'll actually give him an eight. Uh, now it depends on what's up with the fact that he no longer has his testes, so that might be a problem. That <laughs> <laughs> might throw him off for a little bit, recovering and figuring out how to play without that. But um, it, even like two months into the season, I was like, it, it, it's got to at some point the three point shooting is going to tail off. Like it's just not going, and it, it has dropped off a tiny bit. It's he's not hitting seventy five percent of his threes, but I think we saw last season in the playoffs especially and this year even against the lakers you miss him out there just the the ability to orchestrate in a way that i don't think any of the other league guards can given his size and his his confidence his ability to kind of function in offense around him and so i think there's there's nothing in terms of rather than injury that's going to throw me off and say that he's he's going to not step up to the moment so i'd give him like an eight okay and uh, it looks like kyle's rejoined us so kyle we're talking about confidence level uh, of George Hill in the playoff scale of one to 10. How are you feeling about George Hill? Maybe Kyle isn't or, actually back. <laughs> or he isn't back. Okay. All right. Well, well okay. back to you, Adam. Uh, what do, how do you feel about George Hill then? Uh, I feel good about George Hill. I, 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 I would agree. I think in, I think an eight is a good thing to do for him. I, I, I mean, he's played so well this year. He was so integral to the team last year i i'm just so you know i i trust him you know at, at at all levels of the game for some reason uh i i i wonder if he is due for any sort of dry spell um i th- i think he's so critical to his ability though with his 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 decent amount of playmaking or ability to to pass off the dribble um i think bud has trusted him a lot with if he decides in the playoffs to keep running out units that are all super subs. Basically George Hill is the hub of those lineups. So we need him out there. So I, I think eight is a, is a good level to peg him at. Um, so yeah, so I'll go eight. All right. Ne- next one. I'm going to, I'm going to leave this one to you because it's only right that you could be the first one to give the confidence scale here. And we know <laughs> that confidence scale is going to be a 15 to 20 out of 10. So you, you know, <laughs> okay. I'll leave the floor um, for Dante's Inferno. Yeah. Uh, this next one is Dante DiVincenzo. Uh, as we all know, <laughs> He uh, tied his career high last week. He also scored 17 points against the Lakers. And uh, dare I say it at times looked like the second best buck out there. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if it's true or not, but uh, I sure like saying it. Um, I'm going to give him the eight, the same as George Hill. (laughs) He's never done it before. I mean, who knows? He could turn into a pumpkin. He could get like absolutely decimated at the rim at times. Um, I mean, (laughs) he, his shot could not fall. I mean, the one thing I'll say is like, yes, the playoffs are completely different and this isn't a very good argument, especially not for reasons why we drafted him. But like, this is a dude who in the national championship game of college basketball scored like 33 points. So it's not like he's, hasn't played in any huge games like this dude wasn't playing at like IUPUI and like just won the mountain Valley conference championship or whatever. Like this dude was on the biggest stage, huge set of eyeballs and scored a 
a ton of points for his team. Uh, so I'm not really afraid of him like shirking from the moment or anything. Um, my, my only concern would be if his three point shot starts to go cold, but I mean, he has shown an incredible knack to finish at the rim this year. I've, I've been very impressed by that. He's up to around, he was around 61% or something that I saw. If that holds up in the playoffs, I'd, I'd be really impressed by that. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go with an eight. I mean, I think there are concerns just given he, you know, his, his three point shot waxing and waning and he hasn't play, played in the playoffs before, but yeah, I'm going to go an eight. I would say I'd probably give him a six, not because I don't think he'd be capable, but I think that first, and maybe he, he works out of it right away in the first round or second round if the team is playing well enough that it's not a, that big of a deal. But I think that first experience we've seen of it, like it, it's almost impossible to rely upon a rookie in the playoffs. And no, he's not a rookie in a technical sense, but this is more so his actual first season. And so maybe that is difficult for him, but the the areas where I would be concerned is because he because his game is so much like do stuff that's super valuable within the course of playoffs where it's like the difference in the game is whether or not you're able to have guys do stuff. So that's super valuable. But given how often his game relies on either threes or getting to the rim, and he already doesn't get a ton of foul calls as it were, like he doesn't go to the free throw line that much for a guy who shoots inside as much as he does. And so those would be things where maybe it, the defense is tuned up. He's not getting as many easy looks or as good of looks at the rim. And that kind of throws him off a little bit. And so I would give him a six just because I think change in speed, change in the way defenses play um, first experience, this, those sorts of things. But I, I don't think at this point, it's not a question of, is he capable of doing it? I think he he's proven throughout the season that he is more than capable. So it should be a matter of execution at that point. Boo. It should be higher. Yeah, nine, I know. I thought you're going to give him a nine over George Hill. That would have been so on brand. He'd have gone slightly above George Hill is reliable. <laughs> okay. Oh, so I hear Kyle. I know. Finally, I just have to use my phone instead of my laptop. So we'll see how this goes. <laughs> but all right. So Dante, vet, trust. I mean, I trust Dante a lot. <laughs> Probably more than most humans, not name my wife and my son. But I'd probably give him a seven. I'd probably give him a seven just because what we're going to ask Dante to do is kind of what he's been doing all year, you know, off the ball, try and get some deflections and disrupt the passing lanes when he's on the ball, you know, probably shooting. I don't expect him to do a lot of playmaking and have that responsibility on him. I feel like in the playoffs, it's going to primarily come down to Giannis, Eric, George, and maybe Chris. So I guess what we're asking Dante to do do and what he has shown so far would give me the idea that even if it's like 10 minutes i know for those 10 minutes he's going to run around he's going to sky for rebounds he's going to take a couple threes hopefully he makes it and i think that's just what and that's maybe because of, like i said the expectations that i'm having for him going into the playoffs um that's just why i think i would put him at a seven or eight is more the what the expectation is it's not like we're asking him to be you know, the super sub off the bench. You know, I think that's more of what we're expecting out of George Hill. And if we had George Hill's expectations for Dante, then I'd have it lower. But because I think he's more reliable than Connaughton will be in terms of the shooting and defensively, and then with Sterling, it just seems like, uh, at least with the ball, Sterling does not seem to have it for some odd reason. And it seems like Dante has been able to put it together well enough that if he does get 10 or 15 minutes, then the Bucks will be fine. Now, if he's starting to get to the 20, 30-minute range, 
that's not an overtime game, then I'm a little bit concerned. All right. Moving on, Riley, how are you feeling about Kyle Korver? He gets a one to a two. I don't trust Kyle Korver with my life. Like, I, I think there's a lot of people who would say that you have him there to, like, hit three threes in a critical game. I mean, lose my number, bro. He's going to get killed out there defensively. There's a reason <laughs> why he was playing so many minutes for the Jazz last year, and then he fell off the face of a planet, uh, off the face of the planet for the Jazz. Like, he, he's just – he he does not have it defensively. And there was, there was a time oddly enough where people believed that he did have it enough to not matter. Like he, he, he like didn't die every possession for like a two week stretch. It was like, Oh man, Kyle Corbett's kind of playing some sneaky, good defense. Like, no, we cannot say that because he's going to get picked apart by any team with any sort of scheme or any sort of coaching. And so I'm giving him a two simply because he might make a three, but I, I just, I cannot imagine that those minutes would be anything other than a net negative on the defensive end. So I'm going real low with him, even though he's been better than I would have expected. But I came in from like the the bar was in the core of the earth. And so we just barely cleared that, you know. Okay. All right, Kyle. Oh, dang. I, I, I thought I was low and I was going to say three. <laughs> just because Kyle Corver is the kind of guy that he might win you a playoff game just by going four or seven from three. And it's going to happen within a 10, 15 minute span. So that's where I was feeling with him. And that's why I only gave him a three because defensively he's, I mean, I think we all know defensively he's going to be a disaster. And it's just a matter of, can they cover him enough that it's not, it's not a complete train wreck. I know Riley mentioned his time in Utah. And I think that's just a valid concern to have as well. But at, at this rate, yeah, I give him a three. I don't think Bud's gonna play him a lot, and if he does, then the Bucks are in a bad spot. So he'll still win you a playoff game because he's still a very good three point shooter. It's just that we hope that it's not a consistent thing that is going to be replied upon. I guess, and I don't know. The less we see Kyle Korver, the better for everyone involved. Yeah, I'm going with a two, uh, Riley. I wouldn't <laughs> echo his sentiments. Exactly. Um, you know, he, he said it much more eloquently than I ever could. Um, but uh, yeah, too. All right. Wesley Matthews, Riley, how are you feeling? Hmm. I'll have to eat a little crow here. I'll give him like maybe like a five or something. I think it, it, it all comes down to more so defensively how well he holds up now this past game against the Lakers, like LeBron, he did LeBron things. So how much of that is Wes's fault? I don't really think so. I think he's provided really good defense and he continues to get the call as the guy that's going to take care of the opponents, like, you know, dominant wing or forward. And so I think he's done well enough at that. I think at this point we can rely upon him to do that consistently. So I probably maybe like a five or six and the variance is, does he choose to do just threes, like catch and shoot threes as we would ideally like him to do, or is he kind of freestyle every once in a while is he is also want to do and like jab step a bunch and try and beat a guy off the dribble or like go into the paint and post a guy up or like crazy west matthew things so i think it comes down to does he stay within his lane um if he does so i think he'll provide enough on the defensive end to be reliable so probably like a six and just it depends on the shot selection wow that's good uh kyle what about you I'd probably go with seven, uh, just because, as Riley mentioned, on the defensive side is where I really feel like 
Wes is going to shine in these playoffs um, just because he can still take one of the tougher wing assignments and take that burden off of Middleton. He's shown it with James Harden. He's shown it with LeBron that he can, to an extent, you know, limit the, and I don't want to say limit the other player, but he's at least shown that he's a better defensive option than I think Brogdon would have been. Now, yes, there is the concern of, well, if he has another shooting slump and doesn't hit his shots, how effective is he really going to be? Because that's kind of one of the main reasons why he was brought in here. But I would say if Wes Matthews can still get around 35% and above, that's going to help out Milwaukee more than most of the other guys on the bench. And I think he's going to be the one starter where he's probably going to go anonymous a few times, you know, only have a couple points. But if his defense holds up to the standard that he's been showing, then I think Milwaukee will still be in a good spot. So, I, yeah, I would say seven just because his defense is going to be way more valuable and something that I have seen with other team superstars to give me confidence that he can at least do that, the job at that end of the floor. Well, and, and if I can just jump in real quick, not related to this list, but the one thing about Wes Matthews being out there defensively is I think it, it wasn't an excuse necessarily because I think it was partially the truth during the Raptors series, but between Wes and Giannis out there who are probably going to get, you know, they're going to tag team whoever the best forward or wing is for the other opponent, depending on Bud. The, it comes down on Chris Middleton. He's not going to have nearly as much of the excuse or the thing to fall back on about the defense. And so... Wes performing well, I think it puts even more of a spotlight on Chris. Like, you have to show it on the offensive end. You're not going to have to focus nearly as much on defense, so you have to show it on offense. And so he's not on the list, but that's just something I want to keep in mind as well, is the stakes for Chris are that much higher if Wes plays up to his potential. Yeah, I'm going like a four for Wes Matthews. Uh, I don't feel like we... Wow. I I think it's a... he certainly filled his role. I think there's certainly arguments to be made that we needed someone who didn't need to have the ball very often, like Wes Matthews, able to shoot. All he really needs to do is catch and shoot. He plays really rugged defense. All great stuff. There's just this like small lingering feeling in the back of my head that like, how did Toronto win last year? Like a lot of their guards, basically everyone's like the panacea of how you can win in the NBA is you can have all of these guards who can create their own shots create stuff off the dribble like there's no one who's out there who it's like oh this guy isn't a threat he can just shoot that's basically what Wes Matthews is he's not going to be able to really create stuff off the dribble he basically just needs to shoot you could say well okay we have Giannis why would we need another guy to create off the dribble well we've seen Giannis get stalled out we've seen Chris who works from the high post he's not necessarily creating a ton of stuff um if Eric Bledsoe turns into a pumpkin like you know Wes Matthews he isn't going to be like catching and shooting off stuff from Eric Bledsoe when no one is guarding him so um, also just given his horrific shooting stump last year for Indiana, granted incredibly different roles. They asked a lot more of him offensively, but, um, I don't know. There were just some, I have a few small lingering issues with, with Wes Matthews. I think he's a very good player. I don't think he's going to get like taken out of the starting lineup or anything, but I'm not saying like, I couldn't see a crazy world where like Wes Matthews is removed from the starting lineup and like. George Hill goes in and starts with him. If like Bud is feeling like Wes Matthews isn't going to make anything the whole thing, whole time. And then Giannis takes on the best player defensively. Chris takes on the other wing defensively. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just putting it out there. I just, just as a little bit of a contrarian take, I thought it, I, he is the one guy who I feel like gets a complete pass uh, most of the year and he's done his role. He's done it well. So I don't know. He's just someone who I might have a few questions about come playoff time. 
Yeah, I think that's all accurate. Uh, okay, Marvin Williams, how you feeling, Riley? I'd give him a seven. It seems like he's stepped in and done the Ursan role pretty much to a T. Now he's had like one or two games where he's really excelled defensively or like really made his impact felt on both ends of the floor. I, I doubt that's going to happen in the playoffs, but I think simply as an upgrade playing a relatively limited role and just say, just do better than Ursan would do against this guy for five minutes or however long he's out there. Um, I, I think he's more than capable. Um, it's been a while since he was in the playoffs. So maybe that's a little bit of concern, but again, I think for most, most of these guys, you can look at the first round. It's just kind of a warm up round for him. Um, kind of getting back up to speed. So I would say a seven just because it's a limited role, kind of like Wes Matthews, but the stakes are a little bit lower because the competition he's going to be playing against in theory is not going to be as potent as like, you know, what Wes would be doing, for example. And so um, for that reason, uh, I'm relatively confident, confident that he'll uh, do well. Kyle. I'd say six. Um, maybe it's a little bit of Miritich, you know, PTSD. It's just more, I, I, I the one thing that Marvin does have going for him is, even if he's unable to hit his shot, at least defensively, he might be someone that you can trust in the playoffs. And that's something I can't say with Urson. That's something we couldn't say about Miritich last year. It's something that we never really got to see with DJ Wilson. So I guess I would still feel relatively okay with Marvin Williams just because he seems, and he seems to get it. He seems to be an intelligent enough basketball player that even if he's not able to get a shot and he's still on the court, he has shown that he's going to be able to cut and he is trying to get other guys, you know, open and setting picks and still working within the function of the offense. And the fact that he's able to pick up on the offensive scheme that Budu Holzer has so quickly is a positive sign. I just get a little bit worried that if he's unable to hit his shot, how else is he going to provide value for the Bucks while he's on the court? And maybe that's on a defensive end and maybe it's his ability to cut, but it's just one of those things where, he is so new and it's just a difference compared to Ursan that I don't know how much of that is going to be sustainable and how much of that is just a flash in the pan because we haven't seen, because let's be real, I don't think any of us watch a lot of Charlotte Bobcats and Hornets games in the past to know what Marvin Williams is and has been as a player. So, Yeah, I would agree. I, I'm right around a six, similar trepidations to what Kyle said, given uh, we haven't seen him for a while, but he does unlock those Giannis at center lineups if we need to go to those in the in the playoffs and I, I think in a significantly more uh, in a significantly more impactful way than than Ursan Ilyasova obviously did. Um, speaking of Ursan, Riley trust level on Ursan. Um, like a three. Um, that's Ooh. and I don't think it's even. Again, I think it all comes down to having seen what happened to him with Siakam last year, <laughs> I, I can't get him. <laughs> I can't get the vision of him getting just, just beasted for like four straight minutes out of my mind. Um, now a lot of that comes down to the personnel. This isn't even really an indictment on Ursan, like what he does on either end. I think all of us and pretty much all Bucks fans have a lot of respect for what he does. And even though he's 65, like how well he's still playing physically out there, um, and so it's not even so much, I don't think he'll answer to the moment. I think he still has enough savvy on offense. If, if things start slowing down to be effective, it's just, I, I worry that at this point he doesn't necessarily have the legs and maybe this sort of extended rest with Marvin being out there getting a lot of minutes, maybe that'll help out, but I'd give him a three just because I think 
it's not as bad as Corver, but if you get any sort of athletic wing or forward and, and you isolate him on Urson, it's going to be pretty ugly pretty quickly. So I, I'd give him a low score just because I, I think it's a bad matchup for most of the time out there, depending on the coaching staff of the other team. Kyle? Uh, this was the toughest one just because I don't know what the hell to expect out of Urson. Are we going to get the dude that is hitting step back threes? Maybe are we getting the dude that's going to get played off the court if he's matched up against Pascal Siakam or Bam Adebayo? Probably. I don't know. Trust is, I guess the hard thing is, I don't know how I want to define trusting Urson because I know he's going to go out there and, you know, get a lot of tip-ins and offensive rebounds. I know he's going to go out there and shoot some threes and maybe hit a good chunk of those. I know he's going to go out there and take a charge that may or may not swing a big moment in the game. But is he going to do those things well enough that I want him on the floor ahead of a guy like Marvin Williams or just saying, screw it, Giannis, just play the five or play the four way more with Brooke or Robin Lopez? I don't know. So I guess I would give him a four just because I know what he's going to bring. I just don't know what to if that's really going to be a good or a bad thing. So, yeah, I guess I'd lean towards four. Yeah, I'll go for it as well. Uh, similar defensive issues, obviously teams exploding him in the playoffs uh, and whatnot. We we know what he's going to bring offensively. He has some of those those skills. Obviously, he's a Bucks legend. You know, it's it's too bad that his his legend might be overwritten now by Marvin Williams. But um, I feel a little bit more confident with Williams in the Bucks lineup. So, uh, all right, last two here, um, the Lopez twins. Let's just do them in tandem: Brooke Lopez and Robin Lopez. How you feeling about them, Riley? Giving them a four, uh, <laughs> I think. So the reason why I have not low opinions, but um, Robin, I mean, you know, it's Robin, right? Like, it's cool that he does the hook shot thing, but you know, I, I'm not going to say I'm going in there like, man, Robin's going to. I know he's like a really above average backup center for a team. Like, he would be a starter for a lot of teams, and he's on the bench for us, which is great. But um I'm a little worried that he will actually do anything all that effective on either end in the playoffs. And for Brooke, I'm given a low score, not because he's not going to have the defensive prowess, because I think he is going to do well on that end. I'm really concerned about the three-point shooting still because he's been relatively awful all season long. And we saw it last year. He he just kind of faded a little bit. He wasn't taking the threes or whatever the deal was. And then it comes down to, it, this is like a trust level index for Budenholzer almost. It's like, okay, if he's not going to take the threes, then are we going to shift things and get them inside to do something different? I have really low confidence that that's going to happen unless it's a real break glass in case of emergency situation. And so um, as good as he's been on the defensive end, I think there are questions still about what's up with that three-point shot. And maybe I'll look like an idiot. I hope I do. And he you know, goes crazy in the playoffs and really hits a lot of critical threes. But you know, when Kyle dropped off, we talked about this a little bit. The issue is other teams might just be like, okay, we'll just, we'll just let Brooke shoot threes. Maybe he'll make them and maybe he won't. And that'll be cool by us. And if that's going to be the case, you know, it, does that actually turn into a hamstring for the bucks? If he slash Budenholzer is not willing to put him inside. So I'm, I'm worried just because he's really great defensively. And I think Giannis is out there to help out. So maybe that's not an issue, but the offense is definitely going to be a question for me. If worst case scenario, if Eric's struggling, if Wes isn't even taking shots or if he's missing everything, I think there's a 
reality in which he can be helpful. But the question is, do we actually get there? Kyle, how are you feeling about the low pie? Okay, so Robin, I would give a five, kind of similar in which with all these other guys, he's going. I know what he's going to do. I just don't know if it's going to work. So I'll give Robin a five just because he's not really going to bring anything that makes me think, yes, absolutely get this guy on the court. So I, I don't know. Robin's just so mad. I've been harsh. I've probably been harsher on Robin than most people have, and I probably should be. If, I mean, if he's going to continue shooting, you know, 42% from three, like he has been the last couple of weeks and okay, fine, get him on the court. But I don't, I don't think anyone actually thinks that's going to happen. While with Brooke, I'd say I'd give him an eight because uh, yes, he is shooting very, very poorly this year. And that was a concern that we had going into this year. Like, can he keep up this shooting? Like, can he keep up these shooting stats? So far, that's the resounding no, but Lopez, Brooks, Defense has been so good and so vital in terms of protecting the paint that when you pair him and Giannis, it's near impossible to get buckets at the rim for opposing teams. And I think that's something that is going to continue, even if and even if Brooke can't get a shot to go. We saw in game, I think it was game one of Toronto, that if he goes five of eight, that's just going to be icing on the cake, in my opinion. If he's able to hit some threes, that's just going to make things even better and more and easier for the Bucks. I'm not expecting it to happen, but I still trust that Brooks' defense and his post-scoring ability is going to be enough that when he's on the court, he's going to be the – he's probably the second starter that I trust the most, ironically. Other than Giannis, I trust Brooke more than any of the other starters just because the variability and – the range of how good they can be and how bad they can be with Brooke. It's so minimal, like his floor, what we've seen this year, I think is his floor. And if he can add his three point shooting, that's just going to raise the floor. I think he has the highest floor out of all the starters, not named Giannis, which I think is huge for him and for me to trust him. You know, I would say Eric has the lowest floor out of the book starters. Then I go Wes, then I go Chris then I would go Brooke, if that makes sense, I guess. So that's why I think I would give him an eight. It's just because, you know, if we're going to get this version of Brooke, that's still good enough to win Milwaukee playoff games. Yeah, I, I think that's a, I think that's a good argument. I, I I don't have a whole lot to add on on Robin that hasn't already been said. I'm I'm right about it. Uh, at a five with him, I think he could give you some spot minutes. I think there's clearly matchups where he is useful, and it's useful to have another big body to throw out there and give Brooke a little time off. But um, there's also... I would say, uh, you know, issues with him that will will certainly crop their head up if he if he doesn't have his head in the game or if teams are able to exploit him defensively at all. I'm a little more leaning towards Kyle with uh, with with Brooke. I, I'm also going to give him. I think I'd give him an eight as well. I, I I find his I think his defensive versatility is too important to this team. Um, I think he's. It, you know, an incredibly important part of their ability to stop teams at the rim. Maybe the most important. Um, and then I think offensively, I, I think the reason that I have a lot more confidence in him is that there might be times where his three-point shot isn't falling, but it, it just feels like Bud in particular has had and felt more confident going to Brook in different looks. I think he still has a herky-jerky drive game that could potentially exploit some opponents. Um, he's averaging you know close to one more post-up a game 
per game this year than he was last year. Uh, we saw even in the Lakers game, there was uh, a lineup bud throughout there that like had no Giannis, no Chris, no Bledsoe, um, obviously no uh, George Hill who was out. And it was like, it was Brooke Lopez. It was to close the third and they, it was against a smaller Lakers lineup and they went straight to Brooke, straight to a post up. And I think he got to the free throw line on it. So um, I, I think they've just been looking for ways to expand his offensive game and give teams different looks. Uh, and that's why I just think he's going to be, um, you know, I, I trust him a lot more in the, in the, in the playoffs as well. So, and I think he's going to stick around. So I'm, I'm going to go an eight. I um, hope you guys are right. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks guys. That was a good exercise. It'll be great when, uh, when Kyle Korver hits like five threes in game seven, and then we all come back. And, <laughs> and, uh, and, oh, and I still have to get my other ones since I cut out with Bloodsoe and Connaughton. I don't know how much of that you've got. And I can, uh, we, really we didn't hear anything. Give, give us the two numbers quick on Eric first, then Pat. All right, Eric yeah. three. Damn, I can't. I mean, it's I true. Get... I mean, what you're gonna say is 100 percent true. There's, it, we have the facts. We have the unfortunate receipts. We have two years. Yeah, of yikes. I went seven. Just, there's no way I can. I I can't. Like three is, and I think I'm being generous with three. Like actually, no. Give me a one. I can't trust Bledsoe because I don't know what Bledsoe is going to show. <laughs> and and then I'm Pat's going to get an eight. I'm going with a one because I don't know what the hell I'm going to get with him. And if he shows up, great. I'll be happy about it. But if he doesn't show up, I will not be surprised in the least. So Bledsoe, give me a one. Connaughton, give me a four. I, I guess he's going to come in. He might hit a couple shots. He's going to fly by on a pump fake. I don't love it. So, yeah, give me a four with Pat Connaughton. I don't know what he does that George Hill and Dante don't do better than him. So I don't even expect him to play much of the playoffs in general. That's great. Fair enough. Thank, thank you for weighing in. The Bledsoe take was needed. <laughs> we, we needed someone to say it. So thank you for doing that. Um, all <laughs> no right. Problem. We're going to move on to we're going to move on to the last part. Um, we're skipping rapid fire this week. I wrote some questions, but they suck. So we're going to move on. Uh, so oh, we're going to go rapid fire last week either. Whoops. <laughs> yeah. I'm, we're going to go straight into vulture talk. What is the situation with Giannis's long-term contract? Giannis sent it to Kumpo. Giannis. 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 It's some good stuff this week. And by good stuff, I mean it's Stephen A. Smith. Uh, and <laughs> by good stuff from Stephen A. Smith, I mean it's it's totally unintelligible, unintelligible. Um, we didn't get any sort of direct report that a specific team has hired one of Giannis's father figures, that they're looking to hire one of his father figures. Um, it, I, I think there's potential that that could still happen because there's a lot of father figures out there that teams are going for. But this week... Uh, it just came from Stephen A. Smith. I don't know if it was on a panel on e an ESPN program. Um, all I know is that it was some sort of discussion with uh, Jackie McMullen. She asked something about, you know, in, in the current NBA, do stars even want to stay in small markets? Uh, how we haven't already like hashed this out a million times over over the past two decades. I have no idea. But it was the question that was posed. And Stephen A. Smith was there and he jumped in and said, I've heard that if the Bucks don't make the finals, Giannis is leaving. He started with that. And then he followed up with, I don't know if that's true or not. And so that's the report that we have out there. A, we have no idea if it's true or not, but it might be true or it might not be true that if the Bucks don't make the finals, Giannis might or he might not leave. So that's where we're at. That's where the media is at. That's kind of that's the feelers beginning is we don't know, but we're going to say that maybe it may or may not happen. 
So really, it, it's the gay. entire like it's yeah. the entire season's vulture talk brought into one. It's the perfect distillation, really, if you think about it. Of it really what is. this discussion is it's like it's it's people speculating. It's people saying that I've heard from this shadowy figure that I'm not going to reveal because the shadowy figure was myself in a mirror in the dark and I was talking to myself. So like that's the source, and so the source can't be proven as right or wrong because nobody besides maybe like. I don't even, we talked about this even a year ago. Giannis talks to like four people max. Like that's like his crew does not run deep and they're almost all his family. And so anybody who claims that they know one thing or the other, I, I think is disingenuous and a lot of hot air, which is cool because you got to do what you got to do for the clicks, but uh, not impressive from Stephen A this past week, in my opinion. Not impressive. He just he he gave us the distillation of everything Vulture Talk's ever been. I think that's why he gets paid the big bucks. Yeah, I mean, well, he says we don't need to say. Well, the thing is, the distillation of the Vulture Talk gave us shown to be super lame and totally unnecessary. So in a way, <laughs> I'm trying to compensate for the fact that this whole exercise I do every week is for naught and totally worthless because nobody has a clue. But, uh, you know, I just resent Stephen A for pulling the mask off completely and revealing myself to be the fraud that I am when trying to cover this. So it's really, it's not me hating Stephen A. It's me hating myself through Stephen A. So. Well, I, we, we appreciate you doing it, Riley. <laughs> we appreciate Vulture Talk. Yeah. Uh, okay. We're going to, we're going to just go ahead. Uh, look at the Bucks slate ahead. We're recording this before the Suns, the Bucks play the Suns. Um, so by the time you listen to this, you'll know the result of that. But it worked out pretty well for us last time before we recorded before a Suns game, Bucks won. Um, so they are at Phoenix on Sunday, at Denver on Monday. That's a back-to-back. Obviously, Thursday, a uh, big game matchup at home against the Celtics. And then Saturday, they face off against the Golden State Warriors at home uh, with Stephen Curry returning. We'll see if he's out for injuries or something from that night. Um, hopefully not. But um, what do you? what's your prediction for the week, Kyle? Ugh. Why? Oh, I'm really deciding. Do I want to go two and two or one and three? And I think that's mainly because I might go one and three. Wait, actually, hold on. Yeah, <laughs> no, you change it. Like I'm gonna go four and zero. No, I'll two and two. I was. I don't know why I thought. Okay, I don't know. Two and two. I think they beat Phoenix, and I think they beat the Warriors. I just do not feel confident about Denver on the road. And without Giannis, I don't know how much of, I don't know if they can beat the Celtics without Giannis at home. I know Chris Middleton will do a thing, but I, I, I just can't, I don't know. And this is all dependent on how George Hill comes back. If he can come back, I feel a little bit better about the Bucks against the Celtics than I would have otherwise. But if he's not at a hundred percent or if he's out, yeah, I'm going to go two and two with losses to Denver and the Celtics. I'm going to go. I don't want to go 0 and 4 because that seems a little extreme, obviously. I would say 1 and 3, they beat Phoenix today because there's still enough of a talent differential. But Denver is really, really good. Uh, the Celtics, there may be a little bit more of a question just because I know they've been dealing with injury issues. So maybe they'll also be down a couple of guys, but they're a tough out. And the Warriors, I mean, I think Curry's going to try and ascend to to prove definitively to Giannis that he should come to Golden State. And so between those three, um, I think it's going to be a, a one in three week. And I think the difficulty as well as doing that adjustment 
um, for on a more permanent basis, not on a one game off basis of trying to figure out what's the best strategy here without Giannis, assuming that again, he's going to be out for maybe a week or two or even longer. So one and three for me. All right. I'm going to go three and one. I think they lose at Denver. It's really hard to win at Denver, um, especially on a back to back. And then uh, really the only game I have a question mark about is that Celtics game. And it's at home. I don't know. I think uh, I, I believe in the Bucks, even if Giannis does happen to be out. Um, you know, I, I, I you know, I'm going to trust the Bucks. Three and one. So famous last words. Yeah, this is that's going to be a tough look for me. Uh, trust Eric Bledsoe and three and one for the Bucks. Uh, I'm going down in in flames. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much for listening. Uh, this has been the Brew Hoop Podcast. Make sure to go to brewhoop.com for all of our. Uh, typical written content as well. The usual Monday, Monday morning media roundup from Riley, uh, Brian's five observations, um, whatever insightful article uh, Mitchell happens to write. He had a good one last Friday about, um, uh, you know, trying to tune out all of the Giannis noise. Uh, so definitely go and read that. Uh, but otherwise subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends, um, like our page on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at brew hoop, and we will back, be back with you again next week. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.